so good to be here with all of you and thinking about you and thinking about Psalm 145. You are the visual aid of Psalm 145, women that like to praise God and how you bless me, how you bless each other. It's just so wonderful. Okay, I did want to start by saying two weeks ago, Deb taught and she brought some leaves she was excited about in her front yard. If it's Daffodil season, Deb brings daffodils. If it's uh, fall season, she found some leaves. So later she said to me, no one could see my leaves. No one mentioned anything about the color. Okay, these are my leaves I brought back from Michigan. (laughs) Okay. So I don't want you to say anything to Deb, but her leaves were sort of pitiful. (laughs) So if you want to come and see some real fall leaves, come up here. I was finally unpacking some books from that trip, and I found these and thought, I need to bring these. (laughs) Just don't tell Deb. (laughs) Okay, we are in Psalm 145, and... It reminded me how we often use that expression, God is great and God is good. And some people use these words to say grace at a meal. God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. And we can say those unbelievable words. God is great and God is good. And never let it go from here to here. We can say those words our whole life and not let the reality of them touch our hearts. So if God is great, if God is good, what are we supposed to do with that information? That is what Psalm 145 is all about. Uh, Do you guys all remember when the wave hit the stadium? Remember that? It's been a few years now. It's still sort of going on. In fact, I was with a friend, Shirley, who's here. We were at um, a Rangers game this summer, and I was surprised to see they're still doing the wave. But now, you know, I used to be the one that stands up and shouts and does this. Now Shirley and I would come past us and we'd go. (laughs) We'd just keep talking. Oh. But the wave is one person who decides, I'm going to get everybody pumped up. And so they stand up and do this wave. And then their kind friends stand up next to them and do it. And then it starts going along the stadium and it builds momentum. And pretty soon each area of the stadium is standing and shouting and doing this wave. And it's like the whole group of people are united as fans, all excited about this team waving and shouting. And I thought about that because that is David. He is the guy starting the wave. David is the guy that jumps up. He's God's greatest fan. And so he is starting the wave. And he's saying, join me. I am waving about the great and the good God. And then the people of Israel would join in. And the children of the people of Israel and the children's children. And then David's crying out for the entire earth and everybody in it to stand up and wave out about the greatness and the goodness of God, passing on 
that tradition of praise. And aren't we glad that believers in the past did it because that is why we're here today. That wave is still going on, and we are a part of it. But we have to ask ourselves this question. Have I joined in, or am I doing this? (laughs) Have I joined in and taken seriously? I'm a part of God's mighty works. It's my job to be standing, waving high, waving hard in my conversations about who God is. We're to do that in our church. We're to do that with the lost. We're to do that with our children, with relatives, sometimes the hardest people to do that with, with our friends, so that generations after us will keep the wave going. And people will be in meetings like this still praising God. Now, Psalm 145 is a little different than some of David's psalms because it's a universal psalm. It's not just about Israel. He is looking at the whole earth and all it contains, desiring that everyone who dwells on earth will come to the knowledge of the God of Israel and sing his praises and doing that wave that began with the nation of Israel. So on your outline, I said, God expects that the message of his wonders will be known throughout the earth and be passed on for generations by those who love him. And this Psalm 145 is David's conclusion to all the 73 Psalms that he wrote before this. You won't see David's name on any of the remaining Psalms. It's sort of a mighty conclusion, isn't it? It's exciting. It's all about God and who God is. The king of Israel is celebrating the king of eternity. David knows that he doesn't compare with who God is. And David used an acrostic to write this. And what that means is he took each letter of the Hebrew alphabet and successively each verse starts with, say, we would have an A and go all the way down to Z. Each of these verses starts with one of the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And it's sort of strange because only one letter of the Hebrew alphabet is omitted. That is the letter nun, N-U-N. And I thought, nuns would not like to be omitted here. So uh, for some reason, nobody's quite sure why they did that. This is the only psalm entitled Praise. It was a psalm that was recited in the early church. One source told me they read it twice in the morning, once in the evening. Another source told me that they would recite this psalm at the midday meals. And I read that some people still pray, verses 15 and 16, for their midday meals. Did anybody grow up saying that prayer in your home? I read about a couple people that did. You did, Gloria? That's awesome. Think about that. It started with David, and some people are still saying these words of praise to God in their home at their meals today. So this is a call to praise. This is what we're to do. It's expressing what we know to be true about God. And if we would be women who claim to love God, then we should be eager to speak about the glories and the wonders of our Lord. There's so many great women that are examples for us in God's word. 
I thought about Miriam and when they crossed the Red Sea and she was doing the wave and dancing and singing and just singing praises about God. And I thought about Hannah who prayed so fervently that she could have a son so she could dedicate him to the Lord. And she received the gift of Samuel and we read her incredible praise to God. I thought about Mary. And Mary's song, after the angel came to her and said, You will have a child. He will be great. His name will be Jesus. And she praises God. And I think about the elderly woman, Anna, who'd been praying in the temple for years that she could see this child, this Messiah, that would fulfill all the promises from the prophets. And when Mary brought Jesus into the temple... She cries out. She does the wave, praising God for who Jesus would one day be. And we know these women didn't just keep this praise to themselves. There's some of us who grew up thinking, or we've heard this, that my faith is a private matter. Where is that in the Word of God? It's not. How are other people supposed to learn about God if we aren't verbal with what he's done and what he is doing in our lives. We wouldn't have their praises if they didn't make that public. We have them today. David says praising God is a lifestyle. Look at the first two verses. I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. That is David's commitment. As long as he has been to be a man who praises God perpetually, unceasingly, and from him we learn that we know David's life. It wasn't always like this. He had these moments and he had these moments. So we learn from David, whatever our circumstances are, whatever the condition of our day, whatever those moments mean in our life, we still choose to celebrate who God is. In fact, Spurgeon says, we should find abundant cause in every day for rendering special blessing to our Lord. Listen to this um, little poem of praise. In the garden of the Lord, the word of God came to me, sitting alone among the multitudes, and my blind eyes were touched with light, and there was laid upon my lips a flame of fire, and I laugh, and I shout, for life is good, though my feet are set in silent ways. In merry mood I leave the crowd to walk in my garden. Ever as I walk I gather fruits and flowers in my hands, and with joyful heart I bless the sun that kindles all the place with radiant life. And I run with playful winds that blow the scent of rose and jasmine and eddying whirls. And at last I come where the tall lilies grow, lifting their faces like white saints to God. And while the lilies pray, I kneel upon the ground. I have strayed into the holy temple of the Lord. This was written by Helen Keller who was blind and deaf. Her circumstances were bad. The fact that she could find hope in her praise to God, because if she didn't have that, she wouldn't have had anything. 
She was being obedient and finding great joy in praising God. It actually um, made me think of a time a long time ago in my life. I'd been married to Ted just a few years. And one day, I just found myself, due to a lot of circumstances, I think I was so young, I wasn't quite understanding what they were doing to me. And I found myself in the deepest sadness that I, I could ever dream of. And I'd never heard of being this sad. I didn't know what it meant. I didn't know how I got there. And so I would talk to Ted about it, and he was very nice, but he couldn't help me. Um, now that he's had different sadness in his life, he came to me and said, I'm so sorry. I didn't know what that felt like. And I tried to talk to um, an older woman in the church we were in at the time, and, and she didn't know what to do. And so I realized it's between me and God. And I, I didn't have the energy or the understanding to know what to pray for. In my mind, my circumstances were bad. I wasn't able to function even very well at that time. But I could get my little guitar and go sit on the edge of my bed and I would sing this song every single day. It's an old song. I know not what my future holds. Lord, I have no way of knowing. But I know the one who holds my future. So I have no fear of where I'm going. That was all I could do. I was so grateful I could do that. Without that, I would have had nothing. We can celebrate God and he can restore our souls. Sometimes it's easy to fall into a habit of thinking we praise God in holy moments when we're in church, when we're saying a blessing, when we're in a Bible study group. But every day, all day, is a holy day to holy men and women. Praise is what believers do. That's where we meet with God. And when we do that, that's when people around us watching learn about God as well. Look at Philippians 4 on your verse sheet. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. In Hebrews, we've read this before. Through Jesus, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of the lips that confess his name. Now, if you'll notice in those first two verses, a couple times David is saying, I'm praising your name. And I just wanted to clarify that because that's kind of confused me. What does it mean, the name of God? And here's what it means. God's revealed character. So when David is praising the name of God on your outline, when we praise the name of God, we are praising him for the summary of all that he's revealed of himself. That's the name of God. And here's why we're people of praise. First of all, because God is great. We consider the mighty acts of God. Look at verse 3. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation will commend your works to another. They will tell of your mighty acts. They will speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. They will tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. These are voices that point to works that only an incredible God could do. But as I thought about it, I thought, 
What if God was this mighty and powerful and incredible, but he was not also a compassionate God? If you think about that very long, all the power with none of the compassion, we can realize how terrifying that would be. That's why David tells us something wonderful in verse 7. Look at that with me. They will celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. And here's the truth, that all the works of God come forth from the goodness and the righteousness of God. On your outline, God's powerful acts have their beginnings in his righteousness and in his goodness. And I am thankful for that. So everything that God does, we can be assured it's blanketed in his goodness and justice and fairness and loving kindness. And in verse 7, David says, celebrate this. Sing about this. Jesus told his followers in Matthew 5, your heavenly father is perfect. And since Jesus said that, that means every act of my heavenly father is also a perfect act. Speaking of God's greatness here, David says no one can fathom it. It's mighty. He's wonderful. His works are awesome. That's where that word came from that we use today. Awesome. They are great. Each generation shall pass these truths on to others, keeping a tradition of praise for all generations. And as women, I really think we have some pretty unique opportunities to do that as moms as friends as aunts as grandmothers as volunteers in the community and the schools as mentors as leaders as teachers in our small group this week it was so great because we have this young couple there and they're married one's a coach one's a teacher and they were so excited to share with us that their opportunity in the public school because the coach is teaching history and he thought, I can use the book of Daniel to teach history. And so he got out the book of Daniel and they were talking about the mighty acts of God. And his wife said, well, I sort of um, get really close to my students so they will feel free to ask me personal questions because then I can answer personally and tell them about God in my life. How many of you have ever run in a relay race where you've got the baton in your hand? And Remember, it's kind of a cool feeling where you're running and you see the person you're supposed to hand the baton off to and they're kind of looking behind them and moving real slow with their hand out and that feeling of putting the baton in their hand and they take off running really strong and fast. And you also know if when you get up to them and you drop the baton and they have to scramble around and get it and take off running, you know it doesn't matter now. They will not win that race. There's no way. And I thought, this is, this is what these verses are about. We want our children. We want those we love. We want everyone God puts in our path to be able to run through life strongly, understanding 
the strength that comes from God, holding that baton of the greatness of God throughout their whole life. They will live life differently when they have that understanding. And then they can pass that baton on to someone after them. And one day they will hear the words, Well done, my good and faithful servant. We have that opportunity. It's a great privilege. David says in these verses that one way to kind of grow in our understanding of his greatness, I mentioned this briefly a few weeks ago, is to meditate on God's goodness and God's work in our lives. And um, I just think we can invest in this spiritual discipline of meditation and really change and grow in an understanding of the greatness of God. It's really there for us. And we've looked over the last few weeks at David's life, and we see definitely he meditated on all the deliverances God brought about in his life and all the good things God had done for him. But if you read all the Psalms, you see David also talking about remembering God's greatness for Israel as a whole. He talks about their deliverance from Egypt. David meditated on manna from heaven, God's provision, getting into the promised land. And so on your outline, I said meditating on the mighty works of God personally and historically leads us to grow in our understanding of his greatness. In fact, this is what the small couple did in our small group when you think about it. The husband was pointing them to the word of God, history. God's greatness. The wife was pointing at herself and say, let me tell you my story. And they could not have done that if they hadn't already meditated on what God had done in their life and what God had done in Daniel's life. They wouldn't have been prepared to share this with the students in their classroom. Both of these kinds of praise point others in the direction of a mighty God. And think about it. What an incredible privilege that my story could change someone's life as much as David's story or Hannah's story. That is something God has given us as a gift. We should be so thankful for that. We had uh, our mom's group this week. And um, I'm going to move this if you wait one more. Okay. We had our mom's group this week, and if, if you're in a mom's group, it's so fun to pray for these kids as they're growing up, and this group, we had a girl named uh, Jennifer who'd been in, uh, we'd prayed for her since she was probably in middle school, and now she is graduating from grad school, and she talked with her mom, because she's in a transition right now, about coming by our mom's group, which is pretty unheard of to get to have the kids actually come in our mom's group. She was probably like, wow, we were all over, all around her, because we've been praying for her for about 10 years. How exciting. And she came in because she's in the middle of a transition. She said, I just realized in 30 days I'm done with grad school. I have nowhere to live. I don't have a job. And I don't have any money. <laughs> and so we prayed for her. But then I walked her to the door, and she stepped out, and she was under the porch light. And it was so cool, because she turned and said, you know, I just need to remember all the great things God has always done for me. 
And she goes, and for some reason, they're always at the last minute. And then she began to list. Remember how I had nowhere to live when I went and did that internship and he put me in a Christian family. And remember how I drove to Tulane, not knowing my roommates, but praying and praying, thinking, will I find any Christians there? And she found probably the only Christians on the campus. That's who God put her with to live. She never had any money in all these years. And God has always provided And so to see this young woman under a light say to me, it's going to be okay because he's always provided for me in the past. And walk away. And I thought to myself, if she hadn't meditated on those things, she wouldn't be as strong as she is today. Think back and give God the glory and praise for what he's done in your life. One person said this, the praise of the Lord enlarges the heart, and as it grows upon us, our minds grow with it. In other words, we grow in our understanding of God's greatness. If we look at the mighty acts of God as a book, we realize that every generation has a chapter to contribute And if we look back, there's this whole giant book. And when we meditate on it, we agree together, God is great. Look at Exodus 15. Who among the gods is like you, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, and working wonders? Another way we witness God's greatness in these verses is when we consider his kingdom. So look at verse 10. All you have made will praise you, O Lord. Your saints will extol you. They will tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might, so that all men may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. When David's talking about the kingdom of God, this is what he means on your outline. The kingdom of God is the eternal king ruling over all before creation and eternally hereafter. Look at Daniel 4.3 on your verse sheet. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. Now David, when it came to kingdoms, David knew a thing or two. He had witnessed many a kingdom. He had grown himself this incredible kingdom with Israel. But he had also conquered many a kingdom. He'd seen many kingdoms fall apart. And he is saying, no kingdom, including my kingdom, is anything like the glorious kingdom of God. And in these verses, we see the subjects of the kingdom coming to God, praising him, all God's divine works on earth, all his saints, which means citizens of the kingdom, and those who partake in the wonderful grace of God. Together, lifting up this one great chorus of praise from creation to us in this room all the way into eternity. It's a kingdom of might, but it's also a kingdom of grace. And David tells us here, and it will never end. Other kingdoms end. God's kingdom will never end, but endure forever. And if you look at verse 12, it tells you why everybody's praising him. 
so that all men may know, so that men may know the greatness of God the King and want to become a part of God's kingdom. That's what our praise does. And why wouldn't they want to be part of a kingdom where the king himself, the mighty king, is dedicated to meeting the needs of all the subject in his kingdom? Look at verse 13. Second half. The Lord is faithful to all his promises and loving toward all he has made. The Lord upholds all those who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. He's faithful to his promises. He's loving to his children. He sustains those who are weak. And when it talks about being bowed down, that means in burdens and despair. It says he encourages us. He lifts us up. He provides for daily needs. And I love the visual in these verses when he talks about lifting their eyes up. The citizens in the kingdom of God look up to God with their hands out in expectation to expect his mercies to come down. And it says that God's hand is generously meeting their needs, satisfying their desires, but you'll notice it says in their proper time. That's where we have to have faith in due time. And we trust and rest in his mercy. This is a great God. I like how Paul talked about the king and his kingdom when he would be on his mission journeys. Look on your verse sheet at Acts 17. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and doesn't live in temples built by hands. And he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man, that would be Adam, he made every nation of men, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them in the exact places where they should live. And God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. The kingdom of God. God's plan. God is great. But we also praise God because God is good. And this is about his wonderful attributes. Look at verse 8. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all that he has made. These are the very words that God used to describe himself when he met with Moses on the mountain. And I can say this, that makes them very meaningful. Because you can tell me who you think God is, and a book can tell me who it thinks God is, but when God tells me who God is, that's an anchor for my faith. I can cling to those words. Those who recognize these merciful attributes of God have a deeper understanding of who God is than those who only know he's a mighty God. We have to know he's also a good God. And here's the wonderful attributes that we just read. He's gracious. This means undeserved favor that God bestows on us. 
He's compassionate, or your Bible may have said merciful, a kind God who sees our neediness. He's slow to anger. His punishment is influenced by his love. He's rich in love, and that term can be translated steadfast love or loving kindness. And I read that our language really doesn't have an equivalent word to explain and convey what the steadfast love of God really is. And then David says, he is good to all. David, the king of the Jews, the king of God's chosen nation, Israel, a nation that often overlooked the fact that God had concern for all his creation. He is saying here, God's goodness extends beyond Israel into all the parts of the earth. And we can't really comprehend the broad scope of God's goodness, but we can get a vision of it when we witness God in the flesh. If we ever begin to doubt who God really is, look at Jesus. Look at who he is, his compassions, his mercy. We cling to the sacrificial goodness of God that is represented in the outreach of his son that led him to the cross for our sins. And we cling to it because without it, we are lost in our sins. We are lost trying to live life in this world, and we are forever separated by God. That's the incredible love of God, to send his son to bear the penalties that we deserve. On your outline, the deep need of man cries out for a deeply compassionate God. Jesus, thy blood and righteousness, my beauty are, my glorious dress, midst flaming worlds and these arrayed with joy, I shall lift up my head. Bold shall I stand in that great day. For who ought to my charge shall lay, I'm fully absolved, Through these I am from sin and fear, from guilt and shame. So, Jesus, be endless praise to thee, whose boundless mercy has for me, for me, a full atonement made, an everlasting ransom paid. And when from the dust of death I rise to claim my mansion in the skies, even then this shall be all my plea, that Jesus hath lived. And hath died for me. God is good. And here's an amazing thing. With all the greatness of God, with all the goodness of God, we can also praise him because God is mine. What an amazing thing to realize. Look at verse 17. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and loving toward all he has made. He is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and he saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. These verses are so amazing. As soon as we begin to sincerely call upon the Lord, he is there. He is near. He calls us his own. We are his. And we realize we aren't ever alone. 
We are never alone. We can cry out to God at any time. He doesn't leave us in this really hard world to battle life all alone and by ourselves. But this says we must call in truth these verses, and the best translation for that is the word sincerely. We have to pray sincerely, and I liked what this said. To pray in truth, we must have a true heart and the truth in our heart. So to pray in truth, we have a true heart, meaning it has true motives, it has sincere words, and then we have truth in our heart. We understand our need. We understand who God is. And so a heart that is sincere in its need, sincere in its cry, no formal, meaningless prayers here, no manipulative prayers here, no selfish prayers here, just humbleness before our great and good king. David says that God meets with those in verse 19 with those who fear him and in verse 20 with those who love him. And I love that because really fear and love go hand in hand. We fear God because we understand how mighty he is. But we love God because we understand how merciful he is. When you connect those two things, the Bible tells us God is there He's bent down his ear. He's listening to us. He's coming along our side when we draw near to him. On your outline, God is ever at the side of those who both fear him and love him. But then the end of this verse says, those who reject his outstretched hand, there is judgment. And this sounds harsh for us. We especially live in a world where we don't want to judge anyone. We don't want to seem too narrow-minded. Really? We should find comfort that God is just. Because behind God's justice is righteousness. And righteousness is only made known to us because of God's justice. Without it, we wouldn't know what goodness is. In fact, look at Isaiah 26. When your judgments come upon the earth, the people of the world learn righteousness. And though grace is shown to the wicked, they do not learn righteousness and regard not the majesty of the Lord. Grace is shown to all. David closes his psalm with this renewed commitment to praise God. Look back at verse 21. My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. Here we have David again doing the wave, and he's saying, let every creature stand up, do the wave with me, and let's all be in praise and join in together for who God is. And one day, this will be a perfect reality. Look in the future at the book of Revelation. John says, I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and in a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and in the sea, and everyone singing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, 
be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. One day, we will all be doing the wave together in total agreement of who God is. Let's pray. We love you, Lord. We are totally in awe and humbled. Praise you for calling us, for loving us as your own. May we be faithful to tell others about who you are. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.